if I was ever relaxing, doing anything leisurely, anything at all other than practice, before I had checked that box, I didn't feel free. I felt guilty for doing anything else before getting my practice in. Now, maybe it's just me and my wiring and my personality type, but when it comes to guilt, I consider myself a bit of a professional. I've been at the game a long time, constantly looking at all of the ways in which I can improve, be better, do better, say better, behave better, and how I'm not quite measuring up. Maybe you've experienced some of that too. Maybe not quite the sordid tale of my piano practicing days, but maybe something else. Maybe you've had schoolwork or reading that's constantly piled up that you don't feel free from. Uh, things in your job, something you're supposed to be working on for your boss. Maybe it's your health. You could be going to the gym more, should be eating better. Maybe it's your relationship, your family. You could be spending more time with your kids, your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, family. And you know, there's just something about religion. There's something about the commands and the directives in the Bible, the things that Jesus tells us that he wants us to do that just slide right into my inherent desire to cram yet another thing into this guilt suitcase that I'm dragging around. So today we're going to be talking about prayer, and I would love your gut reaction to a question. How's your prayer life? How would you say your practice of prayer is? I mean, how does that question even feel? I know that there's probably quite a few people in this room, in fact, some of them I know, that have incredible prayer lives, and you should honestly be up here preaching instead of me. That's not the case today. For the rest of us, super-driven, achiever-oriented New Yorkers, you know, this answer to this question might bring up some level of uneasiness. I know it does for me, especially when asked by a professional Christian, like a pastor. You know, my answer to this always seems to be some form of, well, it's not where it could be. And then I open the door and let my two good friends in. Disappointment and guilt. And so it goes for me, and I suspect many Christians out there we have these things in our spiritual lives that we know we're supposed to be doing, that we know we're supposed to be working on, things that God points out through the story of the Bible that are practices that we are supposed to be doing, things that we are supposed to be regularly improving. We call them in the church world spiritual disciplines. These things that are supposed to be drawing us closer to God, and yet sometimes it feels like they're doing the exact opposite. Like God is constantly reminding us that we don't quite measure up. Or maybe you're newer to the idea of faith and the things of Jesus. Maybe this is your first time in church, and that's great. But I imagine that probably at some point in your life, you've thought about your spiritual life and your spiritual journey and considered that there maybe is something that could be, should be different. Well, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and this has led me to one of the most profound theological discoveries that I believe I have ever made, one that I am constantly working on, something that I am permanently trying to reteach myself. And if you resonate with any piece of what I was just talking about, I hope that you can grab it too, and it is this. Are you ready? God is not scary.
God is not Gary. I'm not sure about you, but I have spent most of my life thinking God is up there expecting more of me, being disappointed, shaking his head, thinking about where I could have been, things I should have done. Where do we get that idea? Well, it's from the Garys of life. The world tells us that we need to be more and do more to measure up, and so we take our earthly relationships, copy that, and paste it onto our Heavenly Father. But is that really who God is? I mean, in Isaiah, it says that His ways are not our ways. His thoughts, not our thoughts. His ways and standards are upside down from the world's. So maybe there's something different that we can learn about God's heart towards us in this area of spiritual disciplines. So we're going to take a look at the passage of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking specifically about prayer in this Sermon on the Mount that we have been studying for the past several weeks in this upside-down series. And we're going to look at what Jesus actually says about the practice of prayer. So if you want to read along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 6, verse 5 and on. If you have an app, I'll let you get that open. version takes forever to open. I don't know why. It's a great app, but it takes really slow sometimes. Otherwise, we'll have it on the screen for you. So here we go. Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room And shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That always kind of startles me a little. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And now if we skip ahead to chapter 7, Jesus continues to talk about prayer in verse 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. Now, obviously, there's a lot going on here and far more that we can cover in a single 90-minute sermon. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. 
So we're going to focus on a few aspects of this. As we walk this through, I want us to consider five things that we can learn about our practice of prayer. And I kept them alliterative because they're more holy that way. So they all start with P's. You're welcome. So we can start with this. Practice takes perspective. If we can manage to get the right perspective when it comes to God on prayer, then I believe a lot of other things can start to fall into place. You know, I looked around and I read a bunch of other versions of this, and I tried to figure out where I could find the or else translation. The one that said, pray this way or else I'm going to be mad at you, or else I'll be disappointed, or else things are going to have consequences for you. I mean, the statements that are made by the Jesus that I remember that's been filling my guilt suitcase would sound a little bit different than what I was reading here. This is how I would think that that would render. It says, hey, when you pray, do it more fervently. Do it for longer. Do it with greater intensity. More specifically, pray more passionately, more intentionally. But he doesn't say any of that. But what I see him say in this passage is says, hey, when you pray, do it more simply. So I'm going to paraphrase here, but he says, hey, when you pray, would you chill out a little? Don't make a show of this. Cut down the words. Do it away from the spotlight, alone. And just pray the simple prayer. God, I understand that you're holy and set apart. And I want your ways here, just like they are in heaven. So take care of what we need today. Forgive us as we forgive others. And Lord, help me not fall into a pit. Amen. And then Jesus says, and look, God's a good father. He knows what you need. And he knows how to take care of you. Just ask him. He would love to answer. Does that sound like a God who is mad at us? Not to me. And I think we need to be careful that we don't read something into a text that isn't actually there and thereby read something into God's character that isn't there. You know, God isn't actually mad at you. He isn't up in heaven thinking about all the things that you've been doing and feeling disappointed. But don't take my word for it. I'm going to give you a few scriptures to back that up. And we're going to do it fast. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Psalm 103.12 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. In Isaiah 43.25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And Lamentations 3.22 and 23 says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, if we don't get this perspective on God right, then we don't get the perspective on prayer right. If we don't get the perspective on prayer right, then we misunderstand our place in the story. If we misunderstand our place in the story, then we can miss one of the biggest things, which is what Jesus was talking about, and that is of forgiveness. 
I want to read those two verses again that are at the end of the Lord's Prayer that have stopped me in my tracks on more than one occasion. This is 14 and 15 of Matthew 6. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Now, I know that there's a lot of things that aren't terribly clear in the Bible. This does not fall into that category. Now, you might be tempted to think, you see, there it is, knew it. God's keeping score. He's going to hold my unforgiveness over my head. Well, not exactly. I don't think that's really what's going on here. I think what God is saying here is that if we fail to forgive others, then we misunderstand where we fall in this story. We misunderstand the forgiveness of God and the enormity of his grace. We have this upside down in thinking that the wrongs committed against us are greater than the wrongs that we have committed against him. And I think that what Jesus is stating very simply here is that if we miss this, we miss the whole thing. Perspectives off. But if we get our perspective right, then we can get our practice right. And the second thing is this. Practice isn't performing. See, if we don't have the right perspective, we're going to be tempted to practice for someone else other than you and God. So Jesus has some warnings here in several places. He says, hey, when you pray, don't be like a hypocrite. Don't pretend that things are one way when they're actually something else. Don't complicate it with fancy words and try to impress people. God's not fooled. Carrie wasn't. God already knows what's going on inside, and worse yet, all you get is to look holy in front of people. You have one life, not a public life and a private life, one life. See, when I was faking my way through my piano practicing, that wasn't about me and my love of music. That was about other people. It was about my parents. That was about Gary. That was about my family who thought it was cool that I knew how to play a little bit of piano stuff or trying to impress friends. But the truth is, is I couldn't really back it up. When it came right down to it, I didn't have the substance when it mattered. So I just put on a face. And I think we're tempted to do this all the time. I think I mentioned last time that I uh, was here that my wife and I just celebrated 11 years of marriage last month, and uh, that was around June 9th. Um, you can't check my Instagram feed, though, to see a picture of it because I didn't post about it. I know what you're thinking. Do they care for each other? Do they need therapy? I appreciate your concern. We're fine. But... I woke up that morning thinking about this post that I, does anybody else have like Instagram like stress? Oh my gosh. So I'm like thinking about this post. So I realized that I was trying to come up with something that it may be seen by others and known for its many likes. And I didn't like that about myself. So I didn't post it. Just kidding. Well, so I realized this. I went back into my feed this morning. I have posted one time since the middle of May. <laughs> so dumb. 
I think I'm just old. But anyways, <laughs> but what, here's what I realized. is As I was flicking through Instagram, I was realizing that I was starting to compare myself to other people. I was trying to look for ways in which I could perform for others. And so I took a break. I didn't really decide to take a break. It's not a fast. I'm just taking a break. <laughs> Fasting is different. Fasting is about stopping doing something important, like eating. <laughs> okay. Sorry. All right. So fasting is about going, with, going without something meaningful for a period of time in order to intentionally try to connect with God. Are you guys, do you need another minute? You good? Can I keep going? Okay. <laughs> All right. So where prayer is about connecting with God, fasting is about intensely connecting with God, separating something out of your life for extreme focus. But even in that, we can be tempted to do that for other people, to appear holy. But that's not a win. Because the point of praying and fasting is about seeking God, and Jesus says if you don't do it right, you, you miss out on the actual benefits of it. Plus, performing is stressful. It has to be perfect. You have a huge audience. You're trying to do the best job you can for the most people that you can so that you can get the greatest amount of praise that you can. Practicing is very different. Practicing is done away from the spotlight. Only the important people are involved. It's allowed to be a little bit messy. You can make mistakes and figure things out. And that's how our practice of prayer is meant to be. There is no destination. It's just a journey of connection. It's like we're all cast in the play, but the curtain isn't in for like 60 or 80 years from now. Some of you will get that later. Okay, practice isn't performing. Practice is presence. I'm learning a lot about this and about how God sees us as I spend time with my new daughter. She turned four months today, which is super exciting. She's rolling over now, which is a whole big party. Anyways, they tell you when you're going to have a child about this incredible love that you have for this new person as they show up. And it's true. But what they don't tell you is that that's the starting point of the relationship. That even though she's an infant, my relationship with her can grow and build. And so I have a favorite time right now. It's around 6 a.m., it is trending a little earlier at the moment, sadly, but I prefer it closer to six. But it's around the time that she starts to stir. And in order to give my wife a few extra moments of rest and sleep, I grab her, I take her, and I take her into the living room. And I plop her down on the ottoman, and I pull her in really close, and I get in her face, and we just hang out. And she doesn't really say a whole lot. She squawks a bunch. She spits up a lot, lots of drooling. Kicks me in the neck repeatedly. I have a picture of it. That's her. This is not a beautifully crafted photo, and I do not have a great caption for this, because this isn't for you. This, this is secret time. This isn't about anybody else. 
And you know how long I'll sit here? As long as she'll let me. See, I think even in our prayer life, we can be performing for God. See, God, look at all these things that I'm doing. Look at how hard I'm trying to be good. And I'm not saying that those aren't good things and that those don't matter to God, but I wonder if they're actually ultimate things. Pete Scazzaro, one of the pastors in the area, says that we often try wrongly to substitute our being with God with our doing for God. Maybe he wants to just be present with us. Maybe he wants us to cut down on the words because he might actually have something to say to us. Because here's the thing. In God's presence, there is potential. In so many places in this passage that God offers us rewards for our discipline. He says, hey, if you get this practice right, your heavenly father is going to reward you. Ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it'll be opened. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, it's fun for me to think about God being an incredible genie up there that is granting all of my wishes for fame and fortune and comfort and all of those things, but I don't think that that's actually what's going on here. I believe that deep down, each one of us wants to make a lasting impact on this earth. We want to make a difference. In fact, it's one of the things that we do here as a church. We want to invite everyone to make a difference. We actually have a class that helps you discover what it is that your purpose and your spiritual gifts are, the way that God has specifically wired you in order to make a difference in this world and in this church. And once a month, we have a class that helps you sort that out. It's today. That's amazing. Cody will probably tell you about that later. But the question is, how are we going to do that? I mean, if you're a Christian, you wrap that question in, what's God's will for my life? How do I figure this out? I think if we look at a story from the life of Jesus, we can learn something about how this might go down. I mean, he managed to turn the world upside down and had the greatest impact of any man to ever walk the earth. And he did some unique things. So I'm going to read you a story from Mark chapter 1 that speaks to this. The book of Mark starts out with Jesus being baptized, and then he starts his ministry, and he's hitting the town. Things are happening. People are being healed. It's going bananas. Demons are coming out of people. He's picking up some popularity. One day, he leaves the church, in his case, the synagogue, goes to his buddy's house, heals their mom, hangs out for a while. This is where we pick up the story. So this is Mark chapter 1, verse 32. I'll read it to you here. It says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit them to post about it because they knew him. <laughs> and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I might preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Simon shows up here, and he says, hey, Jesus, where have you been? 
Last night was incredible. People are already lining up at the door. They're ready for revival version two. Jesus says, this party's lame. Let's go to the next town. Now, I am not a marketing guy, but this seems like a terrible strategy for starting a movement. I mean, I would think you want to capitalize on the momentum that you're creating and the popularity that you're receiving. Why would you do that? Only because God told you you could have a greater impact somewhere else. But Jesus had to make space to be able to do that, to be able to hear from God and do an upside-down thing. Now, if Jesus had to do that, we probably do as well. And so this brings me to my last point, and that is practice makes permanent. So I've continued my musical journey throughout my life. Um, I played piano, obviously, growing up, but I always wanted to play guitar. And so my wife got tired of hearing me talk about that. So when I, was, when I turned 30, which was a couple of days ago, um, she bought me some guitar lessons, and I took guitar lessons from a friend of mine. His name was also Danny. That is completely irrelevant to the story. But he was teaching me guitar, and he used to drive this point into our heads. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Because you can practice bad technique, and you can practice bad habits, and all you do is make permanent bad techniques and bad habits. What you practice and how you practice actually matter. The fact is, when it comes to your prayer and your fasting life, you are already practicing something and making something permanent. We all are. For Jesus, if you follow him and follow his example, then this isn't a question of what you're going to practice. I mean, in the statements that he makes about prayer, it's about when you pray, when you fast, not if you pray, or if you fast. He's already assuming that you're going to practice prayer. So what he's doing here is he's giving you the how. He says, look, simplify. Watch out that you're not doing it for other people, that it's not just a bunch of empty words, and that you're not drawing attention to yourself and your super spirituality. I'm not fooled, and you're missing out. This is just about you and me. It's about keeping your world right side up. Because sometimes the life things can get bigger than the God things. And prayer and fasting are the ways in which we can turn our perceived reality upside down, which in this case turns it right side up to God's reality. And we can make that perspective permanent with the right practice. So no matter where we are in our spiritual journeys, no matter the depth of our current prayer life, I believe that there is a step further and deeper that we can take. Not out of guilt, not because God is disappointed with the fact that we're not where he thinks we could be, but just because there's more in it for us. There is a greater impact on the world that can be had. And your greatest contribution to the world will come as a direct result of your personal relationship with God. So this is what I want you to do. First, I want you to make a plan. Because is this the trust tree? 
You're not going to do it if you don't have a plan. Something I'm constantly telling myself is you make time for what you, okay. You have time for what you make time for. And so we have to make a plan. So make a plan, check your perspective, and then start to practice. Can I pray for us? Seems appropriate. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful, well, that you're not Gary, that you're not up there disappointed in us, that you desire connection and secret time, a time that we can be together, hear from you. God, I just pray that you will allow us to make space in our lives to connect with you on a deeper level. No matter where we are, when we take a step towards you, God, I pray that you meet us. That you break off and heal those places that are full of shame and guilt that are associated with our spiritual lives, those things that are meant to draw us closer to you. God, remove that and allow us to be healed and whole and free. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.